be in Matthew this week and next week. If you don't have a Bible, there's six of them back there. I would encourage you to grab one. Um, and then Ben can maybe hand one to you. There you go. Anybody else need one? I owe a lot to my former pastor for uh, some credit on this message. Uh, We're going to be, I don't know if we'll be more brief than usual, but uh, thoughts on this passage uh, were huge in this, so got to give him credit. Let's look at 18 to 25, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Um, we name people today differently than they used to. I don't think that's too hard to see. But who has a kid? I'm just by show of hands. Who has a child named after you know, like they have, they gave their uh, kid a family name. So a lot of us. Um, who's got a child named after you know, like a, a hero or an idol? Does anybody have like? James Spurgeon, you know, Thompson or whatever. Does anybody have anything like that? Okay. Nobody? No. Who gave their child their name uh, just because they thought it was cute? Yeah? Lily. Lily's a cute name. The James part's the family name, but Lily's just, my wife liked it a lot. I didn't, I had a friend whose name was Lily, and I couldn't uh, stop thinking of her when we were talking about this. Obviously, I don't think about her anymore, but... Uh, yeah, she just loved it, thought it was cute, and I uh, love it now, of course. Who named their child because of what their name means? Like, you know, I like the name Grace because of what it means. Anybody name their kid that? So only like half of you raised your hands. I'm curious what everybody else named their kid for. Is there? I don't. I can't think of another reason. Uh, anybody else got any other reasons? All right. Uh, well, if you read the Bible, you know, especially the Old Testament, just for like five seconds, you're going to notice that people were given names by their parents in very different ways than we do today. Jacob is given his name. Why? Yaakov means heel. He was given that name because when he was born, he reached out and grabbed Esau's heel. And so he, they, named this, <laughs> they named him heel, right? And you see this a lot in uh, ancient times, a lot in the Old Testament. Um, but no one's doing that today. Uh, I noticed nobody really uh, raised their hand for 
what their what their uh, who named their child because of what the name means. Very few people do that to get today. But in our passage this morning, we learn how the birth of Jesus took place and how his name was given. That uh, and that was by an angel. He shall be called Jesus because he will save. Right. And then this passage from Isaiah 7 is referenced um, there in Matthew 1.23. That's a, that's a quote from Isaiah 7. And we read there that he will be called Emmanuel. Now, when we read this, you know, he should be, he should be called Emmanuel. They will call his name Emmanuel. And then two verses later, his name's Jesus. I mean, did anybody think that as we read it? No. Uh why wasn't his name Emmanuel? Well, in our, you know, Jesus was called a lot of things in the Old Testament. I just want to clear up any confusion you might have. In fact, two chapters later in Isaiah 9, what is he called? Anybody want to take a guess? Isaiah 9, 9 uh, the, the, the child is given a name. Anybody know? I'm going to give you the first one, and you're going to be able to get the next. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? Um, but Jesus can't have like seven names. <laughs> so, uh, what what are, what are they saying? This is this isn't so much like uh, they will call his name Emmanuel, meaning like that's actually going to be his name. Jesus is given a lot of names in the Old Testament. Um, that's more about who he is. That's telling us that he is uh, going to be uh, God with us. So, nonetheless. Matthew has taken the name Jesus and the name Emmanuel and wedded them together. Everything about who this person is and will be is right there in his name. Again, this is how they named people then, and it's a little bit foreign to us, so I wanted to draw it out. In fact, the name Jesus and Emmanuel shed light on each other. Jesus has come to save humanity by dwelling with them. God's presence on earth is a presence for deliverance. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. We, uh, what can we see about Jesus in his name? Before he does anything, we can see so much about who he is. And the first thing is this, if you're taking notes. The first thing we see about Jesus in his name is that God wants a relationship with his people. Okay. Uh, look, Matthew wants to make clear for his readers that this is true, Right? As an aside, and they didn't have parentheses back in the, you know, in the original Greek, so those that parenthetical markers kind of for our... But it is kind of an aside. He says his name should be called Emmanuel, and then Matthew takes kind of the extra step and says, which means God with us. And they, they probably would have known what Emmanuel means, but he, he wants to emphasize that this is what he's going to be, this is who he's going to be, and this is who we're going to know him by. Um, and, for, uh, and when you want to, to dwell with somebody, what do you do? Obviously, you, you go be with them. And for God to think about, uh, and, and for God, think about what that took for, for him to be with us. For you and I, you know, when we want to be with somebody at worst, like, like let's just think about somebody who's, you want to be with my, your daughter, well, that's pretty easy. But you want to be with somebody who's halfway across the wor- world, uh, at, at worst, you know, you have to, pay a lot of money for a plane ticket, but you can go be with them. But God condescended and took on human flesh. I mean, the links that he went to to be with us, Philippians tells us that the creator took on the form of the creature. And not just that. Okay? He didn't just appear, but like he started out like all of us do. 
as an embryo in the womb of Mary, the Lord went through the gestation process. I mean, I, just, I mean that should almost be like I mean, it blows my mind. He became an infant. Uh, and now I don't know, like on your dark days, how you think about God or how you used to think about God. Maybe you don't even need dark days uh, to think like this. You know, you just operate kind of like this on a base level. Your prayer life. You've been struggling in your prayer life. It's you know basically non-existent. You don't remember the last time you you know woke up and, and read scripture, because for you God is distant. Um, that's kind of how you feel about God. Like that's got to be the only only explanation, right? The reason you struggle to pray uh, and, and and get in the Word is ultimately because we don't see God for who He is. Because if you did, if you did see Him for this wonderfully intimate God that 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 He's a He is all powerful and all knowing, and you have the ability to converse with this guy and talk to him and plead with him and thank him and ask him for things. I mean, and if you knew he was there and willing and listening and able and working, I think we'd pray a lot more. So I think ultimately the reason we struggle in our prayer life and and to sit down and, and kind of take time out of our day to study his word is because we lose sight and we feel like he's cold and distant. So maybe your view of God is that, that he's distant. Well, what does this tell about us? In Jesus Christ, God became a baby. And what do you know about babies? Let's hear me. Let me, let me hear some things. What do you know about babies? A lot of you have them or have. Dependent. Sorry. They're dependent. They're very dependent. You know, you can't uh, just put them down. They're the most helpless creatures in the world. You need to go be with them. You need to nurture them. You have to pick them up. You have to hold them. You have to help them in everything. You have to teach them things. You have to nurse them. And whatever you can say about babies, you can't say that a baby won't let you get close to them. You have to come near them. You have to be ultimately, uh, unbelievably intimate with them, or they're going to die. And so if God was just this distant, uncaring God in the sky, there's no need for him to come as a baby. And if he went through this to save you by dwelling with him, do you think he's going to listen to you when you pray? Of course. I mean, what's harder? But maybe that's primarily not your view of God uh, on your darker days. Maybe it's that he's, you know, like judgmental or something. But again, take a moment and think about the last time you were around a newborn baby. Has anyone ever looked at a newborn in a crib, picked the baby up, and said, man, I feel so judged by this baby. Like, this smug look that he's giving me, I don't really like it. I don't like it. He just thinks he's better than me. You know, no, babies are incapable of that. And so if, if all the Christian God does is judge and condemn people, then the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas makes no sense. There's got to be more to this faith if the birth of Christ is so central to the faith. So that's first. Um, the name of God means that he wants a relationship with his people. The second thing is God is intimately aware of who you are and what you need. I think we see that in the story. When you look at verse 18 and 19, let's read that again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, 
and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You know, think about the situation. Don't, you know, spiritualize things just yet. Think about, on a practical level, what this would have been like for this family. Okay, so first consider Joseph. Put yourself in his shoes. How would you have, I mean, I guess I'm just really talking to the men here. It's a little easier to, for you to, to feel this one. Like, how would you have handled this situation? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you're engaged to this woman, and not only are you engaged to her, but you're you're engaged in the first century, all right, which involved a contract. Uh, now you, you don't just feel like it. You, you don't just show up. You, you know, when you when you want to get um, you want to call off the engagement nowadays, all you have to do is just like I don't know, not show up to the wedding and. She just, like, it's, it's over. The engagement's over. Uh, but then you needed to divorce. You needed divorce proceedings just to annul uh, a betrothal. And so, of course, physically there were restrictions. Uh, the betrothal period lasted a year, and you couldn't so much as kiss one another. And so you're Joseph, and at some point during this one-year period, your fiance Mary, comes to you and says, I'm pregnant but I haven't been with another man. Instead, an angel named Gabriel told me that God made me pregnant by sending his Holy Spirit to me. Okay? And you really put yourself in that guy's shoes. You would look at your fiance and probably be more worried about her mental state than the fact that she probably just cheated on you. Right? What did I get myself into? So, so what do you do? Joseph, what did Joseph do? I mean, I think for, for thousands of years, people have admired the way Joseph handled the situation because he refused to take revenge. Uh, under the law, he could have rightfully, well, not, I guess technically rightfully, he could have assumed rightfully that, he, that she should be stunned. That was the punishment for this kind of thing. Uh, but but he, we wouldn't do anything like that, uh, of course, if we were trying to seek retribution. But we would call everyone we invited to the wedding to tell them why the wedding was called off, you know, to, to let them know exactly what happened. That's how we would retaliate. But what, is, what does Joseph do? He chose to, quote, divorce her quietly because he was unwilling to put her to shame. I mean, that's a pretty great way to handle that situation. We don't know much about Joseph, but what we do know is that he was a magnanimous man. But it doesn't lead to divorce. Okay, What could have happened is that Jesus could have grown up in a home with no father, Mary would be alone, and Joseph would have just lost his fiance. So just tragedy all around. Um, but God, knowing Joseph, recognizing that he couldn't be expected to take Mary's word for it, in verse 20, we see that he sends an angel of the Lord to confirm Mary's story. And again, it would have been tragic for Joseph to run from this situation, like for him personally, to lose his fiance for something she didn't do. But God steps in and gives him what he needed. And, and I know he does this for us as well. Will it look like this all the time? Well, no, because it's not every day the stakes are as big as, you know, like your fiance is pregnant with the Son of God. Uh, but nonetheless, I think this principle applies. We can be assured that the Lord cares for us and meets people's needs in the same way, even when it seems like our world's crumbling.
you can be given the same assurance that Joseph is given when you go to him. Uh, it may not be what you want, but he will give you what you need. So just try it. I mean, that's, that's kind of the application there. Um, you won't really know and experience the blessings of prayer if you don't do it. And it's sort of like one of those things, if you just, if you work out for a week and you're not seeing the benefits, a lot of people just stop. But you can't expect to see the benefits after a week of working out. Um, you need to do it for, what is it, what does they say, like a habit forming thing, like 40 days, yeah? To do it for 40 days. Um, I'm not a big Lent promise thing guy, but that's a pretty good one to do. Give yourself 40 days to to pray three times a day or something like that. Um, and just you know check back in and let me know how that goes. So God will give you what you need because he intimately, knows, <coughs> intimately knew Joseph. He knew the whole situation. He knew what Jesus needed. He knew what Mary needed. And he meets Joseph and gives him what he needs. And he will do that for us as well. So the third thing, God's coming proves that who he says he will be, he will be. So again, first... God wants a relationship with his people. Second, God's intimately aware of who you are and what you need. And then third, this passage proves uh, that, that who God says he will be, he will be. Okay. Um, what does the virgin birth tell us? And, and the, cross, the cross does this too. When we see such miraculous steps taken by God to ultimately save us, what does that tell us? I think, I've, I think we've talked about this before. Yes, it says something about God's grace, of course. But it should also tell us something about ourselves. If God took these steps to do this for us, then it should also tell us how heinous our sin is. <laughs> that God couldn't just wave his hand and absolve everyone of their sin. He had to do this. And he didn't come and live this lavish life like born into royalty and rule. He lived in a relatively short life that ended with the brutal death by his crucifixion. Again, why? Yes, because he's gracious. But because that's what your sin required. And this produces, I think, in a lot of us some sort of existential angst. I think that's actually not a bad thing. Like Some of us fear what's going to happen to us in the next life because we're keenly aware of our sin and that we've sinned against the holy and perfect God. So how do we be comforted? That's the question that I want to ask. Again, take another look at Christ. Take another look at the coming of Christ. Because the way that he has come should give us confidence in who he says he will be. Um, you know, I just thought about this illustration. And I never, like, I never like sharing something that I just thought about an hour ago because... <laughs> It could. It, I hadn't thought about it too much. It might not be a great illustration, but um, but I feel like I have to share it anyways. My daughter's in this period um, where you know when you when I drop her off, it's one week it's great and she's happy, and then another week it's just she just loses it. And um, oftentimes what I do is, for better or for worse, I, I like lean in, give her like a side hug, kiss her on the head, maybe say I love you or something, and walk away. Um, because I feel like I'm leading her, uh, and I, I guess it's some impulse, like I'm trying to communicate that even though I'm leaving physically, like I'm still draw, like I'm going to draw near to you physically to show you that I'm not really going anywhere, ultimately. I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that's why I'm doing it. I just feel like I have to, physically I'm not in the room, but I'm still your father. Uh, I, I'm still going to care for you and protect you. 
But lately I've had this fear that because this is the, this is the silly part, and maybe some of y'all can relate to this. I'm really curious if you can. Uh, I've got this, this weird feel like I just did it like an hour ago, and, and I, I get this pit in my stomach because, I fe- because when I kiss her on the head before I leave, and I do this when I'm putting her down at night in her crib, you know, she's just fighting it. I just have to, I just have to put her down and walk out, but I'll just, you know, lean in one more time. And I feel this, uh, you know, impulse, and it makes the crying for a little bit turn into wailing because she sees me leave, and that's really hard to do, just walk out of the room. Um, but it, it, this is the irrational part. I worry that she's going to associate me kissing her with me leaving. <laughs> is that... <laughs> Uh, maybe you don't feel that. Maybe it's just like first kid problems and like on the third kid you just toss him in the crib like a grenade and just run out of <laughs> or something. But, uh, you know, I'm fully, I'm fully, that's probably what's going on. Like she's going to grow up with this deep distrust because I'm doing one thing, like I'm drawing near, but I'm actually doing the opposite like I'm leaving, you know. So she's going to associate my affection with negative uh, feelings. Um Again, I feel like it's an irrational thing because, again, what I'm really trying to communicate to her, she can't really get, but what I'm trying to communicate when I'm drawing near is that I'm still, I'm still your father. I'm still there. And I mentioned earlier that the two names given to God are related, Jesus uh, and Emmanuel. He will save, and he dwells with us. So Jesus coming to earth in this way as a baby that must be approached intimately, that you have to hold, that you have to draw near to intimately, um, and, and he will let you do that, obviously, that he has come to be the great saving father that he said he was since the garden, since the first sin of man, and that his coming in this way proves that he's going to do what he said he would. Like, you don't have a counterfeit God. You don't have a counterfeit father. He really is who he says he is because he's come in this way, because he's come vulnerable. He is the beginning in, and he has the power to save, and we can trust him uh, today. We can trust him tomorrow to be the God who he says he will be. Um, so how do we do that in this season? What are some ways that you can do that practically? Again, I, I think this thing that we're doing, this, this little two-week Advent series is really helpful, but I would encourage you to, you know, as you're getting yourself, trying to wrap yourself into, like, the Christmas spirit, by watching Elf and all that stuff, and I'm not. I love those movies. The best Christmas movie is A Muppet's Christmas Carol, by the way, if you wanted to know. So go check that one out this year. Um, that's great. But, but I would, I would I'll really encourage you to, to find an Advent devotional and lean into that because, again, I think the seasons are ordained for us, and, and the Lord will, will speak to us in a special way as we get ready to celebrate the coming of Christ. All right, next week we're going to talk about uh, chapter 2, so the first couple of verses in chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and get ready, that's a good, that's a good thing to read, chapter 2 of, uh, of Matthew. So I'll pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Father, I, I thank you again for this time. Um, and uh, again, I pray for, for us as we, as we study your word this season, specifically these passages about how you've come to us. Uh, Impress that on our hearts. Allow us to uh, appreciate who you are more deeply every every Christmas season, to appreciate more deeply um, the way that you've come to us and, and help us to be ready for when you come again 
as we look forward to the second Advent. So we thank you, and it's in your name we pray.